Let's pray together. Lord, who can we compare with you? Who among the heavenly beings is like you, Lord? God, you're great. You're feared in the council of the holy ones. You're more awe-inspiring than all who surround you. God, we know that there is none as strong as you are. God, we know from your word that your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule the raging sea. When its waves surge, you can steal them. You scatter your enemies with your powerful arm. God, we know that the heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and everything in it belongs to you because you founded them. You created north and south. God, we know that you have a mighty arm. Your hand is powerful. Your right hand is lifted high. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Faithful love and truth go before you. And we know from your word that happy are the people who know the joyful shout. Lord, they, they walk in the light from your face. They rejoice in your name all day long. And they are exalted because of your righteousness. Now we know of your magnificent strength. We know of your favor. God, we know that your word is true and that only you should be exalted. God, we know that you and you alone are awesome. God, you and you alone are the only one worthy to sing to or sing about. God, we desire that our worship would continue of you. God, that we would not celebrate who we are, but instead, God, we would only celebrate who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Turn in your Bible to, um, to Acts chapter 2. And by your Bible, I mean the one that you have, not that it belongs to you. But turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to continue on with our series called Slow. And uh, we began the series talking about how it's a, a need for us to slow down to take some time so that we are in awe of Jesus and Jesus alone, that we should take some breaks, that we should uh, slow our lives down in order to see God at work, in order to see uh, his awe-inspiring work, to see how magnificent he is and he alone is, uh, taking some time to really, I'm going to say it again, but really slow down and think about or meditate on, on God and his word. And my hope is that over the last couple of weeks that maybe you've spent some time doing that and I joked with you, and I know again, uh, you know, slowing down is kind of not the thing of the world. Uh, it's really uh, we live in this kind of microwave society. I mean, Brad will agree with me. Even when the coffee's not hot enough, instead of brewing another uh, pot of coffee, we're just going to warm up the one that was cold. You know, because we're just in this quick pace, give me more coffee kind of society. And so, because of that, we've we've led ourselves into um, some places of rut, some some places of of habit um, that aren't necessarily biblical disciplines. Uh, we've lived, we've uh, moved ourselves into a place where we're devoted to things that really have uh, no um, significance in our lives. We're devoted to things that really, um, that really have no uh, true or eternal impact on our life. I mean, how many are you devoted, be honest with yourself this morning, or, or be honest with, <coughs> with your neighbor, how many of you are devoted to uh, you know, the 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock news or 10 o'clock news? 
Like you, you know, you're you're constantly like, if I don't watch that, then I have no idea what's going on in the world. Or maybe you're devoted to, uh, like Brad and I, devoted to that early morning cup of coffee. Like if we're not like you know getting that early morning cup of coffee, like can we even can we even function? And I'm being real with you. Like I have moments of that where I'm like, Lord, I know what your word says, and I should meditate on your word and be like grounded on your faith and your foundation and my faith in your foundation but I really just want to be grounded in holy grounds right now that have been brewed through hot water and just let me just take a sip of that first Lord and then the, the word as I'm reading it sipping coffee I'm like oh yeah I should set this aside it's a worthless idol but uh, I don't Really, all I need is Jesus. So, so I know all these things. We live in this microwave society uh, where um, where slowing down is not necessarily a thing that we do. If we do slow down, I'm all right. Maybe you had this this summer, like you took a vacation or a moment um, where you you thought, hey, we're going to slow down for a moment. We're going to take it take a vacation. We're going to take some time and set it aside and say, this is just for uh, for getting away from normal life, taking a break from that. And then you go on vacation, and uh, if you're like my family, and you come back and you're like, why not? I think uh, even Heather has said this from, from Brian's family. Like, we, we need a vacation from, from the vacation. Like, when, when can we actually slow down in life and have some time, have some time of rest? So with that, uh, we, we need to get to a point as followers of Jesus, as people belonging to God, coming to a place where we understand that rest and satisfaction in life and these moments of awe-inspiring moments are only going to happen when we focus our heart and our attention completely upon, completely upon the Lord. Last week we talked about um, the first part of this, uh, this word slow, the S in slow, uh, which, which we're going to make stand for simple. That we should, we should try and live some simple lives. And I'm not necessarily talking about like how many clothes are in your closet, though that, that could be something that you, you know, set out to embark upon. Like I want to be a simple person. I'm only going to have seven sets of clothes or whatever. Uh, unlike a friend of mine, we were talking just the other day, a friend of mine in high school, uh, before school started, she had a new set of clothes for every day of school. So every day of school, 160 or 180 days, whatever it is, she had a brand new set of clothes for those days of school. And you're thinking with me, that's a waste of money. You know, what I mean, why? Why is that so in, so important? But it is. We get we get focused on these things. So I'm not necessarily talking about living simply, like what's in your closet or or what do you drive or where do you live. But I'm more talking about like what, what is it that is the foundation of life? What is it that we that we should be a part of? Like we talked about with Martha and Mary. Uh, what is it that we should be focusing our attention on? Where in the moments where where are the moments where we're sitting at the feet of Jesus and and listening to Him and not being distracted by the many tasks uh, that are out there? I mean, you have a number of tasks right now that you're thinking about already. Like when is this guy going to be done? Uh, when can we stop listening so we can move on to the next thing? Like I know from like experience from worship leading, Brian's already thinking about the invitation song making sure he's got his capo in the right place. Uh, am I going to be, you know, am I in the right key? Um, is everybody on the same page as I am? Are we playing the right song? I mean, all these things, we're constantly thinking about the next thing. How many of you have already, like as I began thinking about that, I'm leading you now to think about lunch. What's for lunch? Am I even cooking anything? My husband's great. What am I going to prepare for him? All those things that you're thinking about right now. We get distracted by those many tasks and we often miss What's most important? And some of you have like a rebuttal. Some of you are saying things like, well, I hear you say slow down so I can be in awe of Jesus, but won't I have eternity for that? Won't I have eternity to be in awe of Jesus? Like right now, can I just be in awe of what I want to be in awe of? That's not how a relationship with Jesus works. Hey, I'm going to marry you, Mandy. Well, let me just tell you, the first 30 years of our marriage, I'm not going to be in awe of you. I'm going to wait till the later part of our life. 
our later part of our marriage. Uh, up until that point, I'm going to be in awe of other things. I'm going to be focusing my attention on other things. I'm not going to focus my attention upon you. We're married. We've signed the contract. Later in life, at some point down the road, then I'll be in awe of our marriage. That's not how a marriage works. That's not how the covenant with Christ works. That's not how redemption works. That's not how rescuing works. Hey, thanks for rescuing me. I'm going to jump back into the water so I can drown and enjoy the pool or the lake or whatever. No, that's not how rescuing works. It's not the it's not the intention of our Savior to rescue us so that we can continue on with what we desire to do. But instead, when we're rescued by our Savior, and we, we have this contract or this covenant of salvation, and this process of sanctification where we're growing and being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, in that moment... We begin saying, Lord, how can you use me today? Let me slow down and let me be used by you. I'm going to just talk for a second here, an indictment on the church, I feel like. Uh, and we, we talk about this, and I know some of you are really offended by it when we, when, we, when, we, when we mention this. Because it's things that we grasp a hold of and we hold on to and we think these are biblical things. And some of them are. You, you know, my desire is this, that as I attempt to pastor this church, my attempt is to focus us on the things that really matter. The things that, as a body of Christ or the people belonging to God, like what are we as the people belonging to God supposed to be, supposed to be about? What is our work supposed to look like? What are we supposed to be uh, being challenged with every day? And I think this slowing down, this process of being simple is, is really, really important. I mean, think about this for a moment. What if the church worked or functioned within the gifts given instead of the programs created? What if, what if we began as the church, as the people belonging to God, began using the gifts that God has given us and worked within those gifts or functioned within those gifts? I mean, I really feel like that if we were to use our gifts within the fellowship of, of the body of Christ that God has created, that God has died for, that he's given us opportunity of life. When we work or function within the gifts that he's given us, then we truly function as a body. Instead of functioning as someone who wants to be a toe and you're really a thumb, or whatever the case may be, but working within the gifts that the Lord has given you. I mean, think for a moment, just so we're going to talk, uh, we have a great neighbor who is great, who models this gift really well, the gift of hospitality. Uh, think about this gift of hospitality. I mean, think about you for a moment, those people in this room who do not like to show hospitality. Think about yourself for a second if you fit into this category, where it, it is a strain. It makes you exhausted when you have to entertain people. When you invite someone over, you're like, I'm just dreading this moment that these people are coming over to my house. Or I'm dreading this moment. All these things I have to prepare for. I'm dreading this moment where I'm going to meet them. Even, let's just say, meet them at a dinner uh, at a restaurant. And I'm dreading the conversations we're going to have to have. You're thinking through it. What am I going to do next? And uh, you just, uh, I just don't. Hospitality is just not my thing. And you become exhausted by it because you're trying to force yourself into a role that you don't belong in necessarily. But if you have the gift of hospitality and you're not trying to produce fake fruit, you want to be hospitable every moment of your life. Like not to use a new age you know, psychology, but it's almost as if you're gaining energy or gaining strength because you're using the gift that, you're, that you've been given. The Holy Spirit is working through you. And so because of that, it's no longer a job or a requirement, but it actually is a gift. 
We can talk about David for a second. Uh, David Shaw. I mean, most of you know him. He's got the gift of administration. And it is evident. Like he loves to administrate. And he does it so well. And it's not because he's figured it out through books, but it's because the Holy Spirit has gifted him with that. And he's using that for the glory, for the glory of Christ. Put me in that role, I'm exhausted. I can't think. I showed you last week a, a, a to-decide and a to-do list. That helps me try and work through the, the process of administration. But I have to constantly think about it. We talked about it yesterday. I have 300 and something unanswered text messages on my phone because I need to think through before I answer those things. Where an administrator, somebody who's working through the gift of administration, can solve those problems immediately because the Holy Spirit is working through. And he's not exhausted. Yeah, maybe because he's put in so many hours. But he's not exhausted because the Holy Spirit is strengthening him, using him in those gifts. I mean, I can teach all day long. I can teach at Ari camp and teach and teach and teach and teach because I feel like the Lord has gifted me with the gift of, of teaching and I feel like the Lord uses me and gives me strength within that. I'm not functioning on my own power or on my own might, but instead I'm using the gift that the Lord has given me and functioning within His desire and His purpose for my life. I'm not trying to force myself into a program that's been created, but instead I'm using or functioning under the gift that the Lord has given me. And what if, for a second, what if, if you could think about it, what if the church worked or functioned within the gifts given instead of the programs created? I really feel like if we began using the gifts within the fellowship, within the body of Christ, then we really truly would function as a body. But like we've mentioned before, we mentioned it on Sunday night, when we use the gifts and create a job out of them, or program out of them, I really feel like it leads to burnout. It leads to exhaustion. It leads to, why can't we do these things? Let's just plug somebody into this position or into this job. We need to find somebody to fill this position. And yet we, we tend to look at the gift last. Are they gifted for, for this position? I mean, when, a Christ, when Christ ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, when he ascended into heaven, he didn't say that a new program was needed or a building was needed or a new motto was needed. He didn't say anything like that. Instead, he said something like, Abiding in Him is definitely needed. Using His power, His, not, His might, devotion to Him, denying self, taking up cross, following Him. Those are the things that He commanded. These are the things that the church should be modeling. The church should be putting on display. This, this is where the church should be, should be functioning. What if, what, just what if, the church worked within the gifts given? If we're exhausted with programs, with gimmicks, with rules, and using my own power... Uh, we, we should come to a place where we say, I want to truly just abide in Christ. And so when we get to these simple things, when we get to Acts chapter 2, and we see in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This early church began to focus and devote their time and attention to what Christ had commanded them to do. Devote themselves to what Christ desired of their life. Not trying to fit their lives into uh, what they think is most right, but instead they, they were looking to be transformed into the likeness of Christ and hold each other accountable to what Christ had commanded or asked them to do. Think about the other church for a second. I mean, they were like a, we talked about this yesterday. The other church was like a circus, a, a group of random folks that have different talents or skills or whatever. I mean, think about the early church as a circus. There were tax collectors. There were fishermen. 
Dare I say there were prostitutes, widows, farmers, shepherds, quilt makers, tent makers, Pharisees, jailers, criminals. There were lazy people. There were liars. There were doubters. There were Greeks. There were Jews. There were young. There were old. There were even bearded women. Maybe not bearded women. I'm just reading into that. But it was like a circus. This group of people brought together to perform, to put on display something. And think about a circus if you've been to it. Or maybe you've seen a show about a circus. I mean, the whole point of the group of people coming together with their different talents, their different skills, their different gifts, is to put people in awe of who they are. This group of people, they look like a circus. And so they began to meet together and devote themselves together. Hey, you know, if I'm the bearded woman, and if I'm meeting with these other circus people, there, there may be a, a chance that people will begin looking at me instead of our Savior, instead of our ringleader. If I'm putting myself on display, people may begin looking at me instead of the one that truly should be receiving the awe or receiving the glory or receiving the worship. So the bearded woman, let's say, if she's real, she meets with the group of people. She devotes herself to the group of people. Begin meeting daily. Okay, what are we going to do about this problem? What problem? The problem of sin. It's been, it's, been, it's been conquered. It's been completed. The task of taking away sin has been done through Jesus, through his completed work. Okay, so sin has been removed. But what about this self rising up? What about this pride that I'm dealing with? What about these moments where Christ has called me to deny myself, to take up my cross and follow him, but yet I don't want to? I mean, it's Monday. Who wants to deny yourself on Monday? You know, it's Friday. We get our paycheck. Who wants to deny ourselves that day? No, we got, we got money in the bank. Let's, uh, let's not deny self. Let's go, you know, take pride in self. Let's go use this, this time for, for myself instead of for the glory of Christ. Maybe this group of criminals and fishermen and prostitutes and widows and farmers and tax collectors and, and liars and doubters, maybe they're thinking, okay, well, Christ told us that he's the way, the truth, and the life, but, but I'm having doubts with that. Is he really the only way to reach the Father? Is he really the only truth? Is he really the only life? And so they begin meeting together, devoting themselves to these four simple things so that they would be re-centered upon what is most important in the life of the people belonging to God. And that most important thing is Jesus. I mean, many of you probably this past week, you thought for a moment, is Jesus the way? Is he the truth? Is he the lie? Because I feel like these other things could, could help also. I mean, I know that Jesus is calling himself the truth, but I know a lot of truths. I know a lot of things that, that maybe even be equal to the truth. Is Jesus really wanting me to deny self and take up my cross and follow him? Is that an immediate thing or is it something I can do later in life? And so the church comes together to help recenter each other, hold one another accountable until what is most important in the lives of the people belonging to God. And how could this group of people that looks like a circus prevent itself from becoming the greatest show on earth? I mean, think about it. If you've read through the book of Acts, there were some awe-inspiring things that were happening. And yet to the glory of God, not to the glory of the people. 
People weren't receiving the glory, but instead God was receiving the glory. What does it say? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers, and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending to the, the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food and with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those being saved. I mean, the Lord is the one receiving the glory. The Lord is the one doing the work. It wasn't a moment of exhaustion for the church. I mean, things were tripling and uh, the church was growing you know, exponentially. I mean, it was more people than they could ever imagine. People like David are like, how are we going to handle all these groups of people? we got to set them into groups and small groups and distribute all the needs and we got to set up deacons. Who's going to be these deacons? All these things, all these concerns. And the Lord said, let me be the one that's working through you. If I'm the one working through you, then I'm going to receive the glory. This group of people that may represent or look like a circus, they wanted to not become the greatest show on earth so that they would receive the glory. Instead, they wanted God to receive the glory. People in awe of the Lord and not them and not themselves. So let's talk about these, these three things that we didn't talk about last week. Uh, we, we talked about the apostles teaching the need for you to be studying God's scripture daily so that you can live by it. Uh, challenging one another, uh, encouraging one another, listening to God's word as it's preached, uh, listening to God's word as it's taught, reading and studying it so that you know what the Lord desires of you to do. Think for a moment now about well, these other three things. The fellowship, this is what they devoted themselves to. The fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. These other three kind of simple things. This group of circus people, these, all these people from all different backgrounds, they hear the teaching of the Lord, uh, they know about salvation, uh, they're saved, uh, they're following in, in baptism, they're following Jesus, they understand that they're the people belonging to God because of Christ, they've been redeemed, they've been rescued, and so because of all that, uh, that now they're, they're meeting together to in, encourage one another. What, what they don't want to happen is what happened in Matthew chapter 21. You remember in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus comes and he makes this triumphal entry. And everybody's shouting, Hosanna. Uh, here's, here's our Savior. Here's the one that's coming to save us. This parade, this magnificent moment is happening. And then after the parade is over and people are sweeping up the streets and uh, the palm branches are being scooped up and so is the donkey mess. All those things are happening. The parade is over now. Jesus then goes to the temple. Hey, while you clean the streets and clean up all the palm branches, and, and many of you recognize me as a Savior, I'm going to go clean up the Lord's house. And he goes into the Lord's house, and it says this, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the, and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And verse 13 of chapter 21 says this, He said to them this, he's quoting from Isaiah, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you... Make it a den of robbers. So how can you now, Christ has brought salvation upon the earth. He's completed the work. He's now rescuing people through his blood, through his broken body, through his resurrected body. He's reconciling people to himself, through himself, because of what he's done. He's now clothing them in righteousness, but they're former Pharisees. They're former tax collectors, they're former robbers, they're former prostitutes, they're former fishermen. They're all these, they have this past behind them. So how are these people not going to go back to robbing, to sin, 
to being a criminal, go back to their old ways. How are they going to prevent themselves from doing that? He saved them. Now they're in the process of sanctification. No longer do I want a house to be a house of, uh, I want it to be a house of prayer, not a den of robbers or thieves. So what needs to happen? So the church needs to meet together. Not at a specific location necessarily, but the church needs to be together for the purpose of fellowship. I mean, it's interesting the word fellowship here. It means like a partnership or an accountability. It means, it means this intimate relationship with one another that we're holding each other accountable so that we don't become like we used to be. I know that's terrible grammar, but we, we don't want to go back to the way we were. We want Christ who has saved us to continue to transform us into his likeness. And this is one of the functions of the church, to meet together, to hold each other accountable, to worship the Lord together, to recenter our lives upon, upon Christ and Christ alone. Think about in Acts chapter 5, a husband and wife, they show up on the scene. They've been redeemed, let's say. Uh, for, for all circumstances, it seems like there are people belonging to God, people that are a part of the fellowship. They own some property. And so they decide to sell the property. And with this selling of the property, they make a lot of money. And so they decide to say with their mouth, we're giving all of the profit to the church. Or we're giving all the profit for the sake of all the people belonging to God. And so Ananias, the husband, walks in and uh, meets the apostles, meets Peter and says, here's, here's all our money. And Peter confronts him. You know you're telling a lie. But you're not just telling a lie to to me or to these human people, and you're speaking a lie to the Lord. You're, you're lying against the Holy Spirit. And so with that, with that word, that sermon, that quick sermon, Ananias drops dead in that moment. You think in that moment that the church is not awe-inspiring of what God is doing? They are reminded in that moment in Acts chapter 5 that it is the Lord who should receive all glory and honor. Maybe there was somebody in the scene, maybe it was Peter, who remembered from that moment of Matthew chapter 21, I remember Christ doesn't want us to be a den of robbers or thieves, but instead he wants us to be a house representing prayer, a house representing abiding in Christ, a house representing people belonging to the Lord. And then what happens? Sapphira shows up on the scene and she's just following her husband's lead and uh, she repeats what her husband and her decided to say. And with that, she lies also. And uh, with that, her uh, result of lying is the same as her husband's. And she's led to, she's led to death. All because, because of sin re-entering the place that sin was removed from. The place of, the place of holiness. And the problem is, is that we think, uh, we think that, uh, you know, the church is really like a building or a denomination or it's a set of man-made doctrines maybe or it's just an organization, a great organization like a country club or maybe it's a meeting that, uh, that's only held at a certain time. Maybe we're going to church on, on Sunday morning. Maybe it's just a group of people with certain, you know, practices or certain dress codes or whatever or maybe it's just a, a place for Christian entertainment. It's the center of Christian entertainment, let's say. Or maybe it's just a place where we drop off our kids. Or for, for some of you wives, maybe it's just a place you drop off your husbands because you want them to be uh, told, about, told about Jesus. It's not that. It's so much more than that. When we reduce the church, when we reduce the church to just a, a meeting time or a meeting place, when we reduce it to that, God does not receive the glory. 
Richard Nolte says this, when attending a church begins to make it easier to separate our personal lives from our spiritual lives, it is a detriment. When we reduce the fellowship of God's people, the people who have been rescued by Jesus and clothed in righteousness, when we reduce it to just a moment a week, a time a week, a building, a denomination, a set of man-made doctrines or whatever we want to call it, when we reduce it to that, God does not receive the glory. And it's no wonder that we have conversations like Mandy and I had just this, this past week, uh, conversations with people who seem to be lost and seem to say things like, well, the church, what are they? They don't function the way they're supposed to. When I go, I'm not receiving the things that I, I feel like I should be receiving. I'm not experiencing the things that I should be experiencing. Because here's the reason. The church was never intended to be about experience. The church was intended to be about accountability about worship of Christ, about fulfilling the mission of God, that the world would know about the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's a great moment to worship together. We call it corporate worship because we try and make church like a business. We're going to call it corporate. Uh, we, want, we want to gather together weekly and encourage one another. But when that encouragement then becomes a separation from the rest of our life, you know, like we become these people who, um, who come to a moment on Sunday morning where we dress appropriately, where we act our, ask our kids to act appropriately, where we talk appropriately, where we drink appropriately, and we do all these things appropriate for church on Sunday morning, but we separate the rest of our spiritual life from that moment. Church is not functioning as God desires for the body of Christ to function. The early church devoted themselves to the fellowship because they knew there's no way like, I know myself. There is no way that I can deny self, take up cross, and follow Jesus unless someone is spurring me along. And it has to be a daily thing. Like, I mean, men, you know this. Like, we do dumb things. But when we have friends, we do even dumber things. Watch me. You think I can do this? Sure. I think you can do this. Okay, I'm going to try it. And that's where accountability comes in. You think we can go save the world? I can't by myself. But the church in Ephesians chapter 2 being built up together on the foundation of the apostles' teaching and the cornerstone of Jesus being built up to be the temple of God, the church together functioning within the gifts that the Lord has given them, functioning as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, can fulfill Matthew 24. And the whole world will know about Jesus Christ. The whole world will know about the good news of Christ. But when we reduce church and the fellowship to just one moment a week, then we may or, not, may, or not, may or may not receive what we desire. When we reduce it to that, God will not receive the glory. Instead, it will be like a circus where these group of people come, and when people leave the circus, it's like, man, the bearded woman was awesome. Did you see the, uh, the lion tamer? Did you see the guy who can jump through all the hoops? Did you see the dancing chicken? I mean, did you see all those things? When we reduce it to that, the people receive the glory and not the one the people belong to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, 
Because they saw the need for partnership, for accountability. They saw the need to function within the gifts that the Lord had given them. And then they also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. This could have been a moment of worship. This could have been a moment of remembering what the Lord had done for them. Like we celebrate and we'll celebrate next week. Uh, We'll break the bread. We'll drink the juice to, to remind ourselves of what Christ has done. But this also could have been a moment of just eating a meal together. One of my favorite memories from David and I's trip to, uh, to Malaysia was the moments that we sat in a restaurant late at night eating watered-down, humidity-ruined uh, fish chips, like literally fish that they tried to make chips out of, listening to people share fishing stories, listening to people tell uh, about, their, uh, about their illnesses, listening to people talk about their family, listening to people talking about their desires of what they want to be, and then also in that same meal, listening to a man proclaim the gospel, reminding folks of what they've been created for, reminding or sharing for the first time in the case of Malaysia, sharing for the first time about the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, you eat. I know you do. I'm looking at you. You eat, and that's not I'm trying to, I'm trying to be rude, but you eat. Eat with somebody else this week. Call somebody. Hey, can you, uh, you're a believer. We belong to, to God together through Christ. Let's share a meal together. Let's talk about the chips and salsa. Let's talk about how unsweet the unsweet tea is and how we wish we could drink sweet tea, but our doctor won't let us. Let's talk about those things, but let's also talk about the faithfulness of the Lord. I prayed over your Psalm 89. Let's talk about these things. Like who, who do you know? Who do you know that can compare to the Lord? No one. Who can, Job says, when, when God answers Job, who can bring the dinosaur out of the lake? Who can bring the Leviathan out of the lake with a fish hook? Do you know of anyone who can do that? Who is more awe-inspiring than the Lord? So when the church devoted themselves to these things, it wasn't just the people hearing it who have heard it and heard it and heard it that were being all inspired It was the world around them that also, I don't know what's going on with that group of people, but, but they keep saying that Yahweh or the Lord, or actually they're saying something about this guy named Jesus who was crucified. And some awe-inspiring things are going on. And I want to know about this Jesus. Too often in my short time of church work, too often do we give credit to something else. And not enough does Jesus receive the glory and the honor. So, so this week, fellowship. Here we are. It's a good start. But also break bread. Go and eat with somebody. And just for a short moment in that breaking bread, that short moment, and I know we're Americans, so we don't like to talk about spiritual things a whole lot. But in that short moment, remind somebody about how, how wonderful, how awesome, how great the Lord is. And it says this. It says they devoted themselves to the prayers. And here's why I think, and I may be completely off on this, but here's why I think they devoted themselves to prayer. Because they knew, mostly because it was men leading, they knew how sinful they were. They knew how Christ had called them to abide in him. They knew that that Christ said, apart from him, you can do nothing. And they knew that they were in desperate need of Jesus. And so daily, 
I want to apologize before I say this. So I'm going to. I apologize. Daily they devoted themselves to prayer. To the need of Jesus. Not to the need of safety and comfort and prosperity, but to the need of Jesus. Jesus saved them and rescued them. He has saved you and rescued you. And he's put you on this path of sanctification that we call discipleship for his sake, for his glory, for his honor, not for your own. And so they devoted themselves to abiding in Christ, to the prayers, Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord Jesus, I need you. Because without Christ, Paul tells us, we can do nothing. But through Christ, much can be accomplished. Here's where it leaves me in tears. Because sometimes I feel like we're a circus. Libby and I joked about this yesterday. She reminded me that we're a small circus. We only have one ring. But sometimes I feel like we're a circus. I'm just being real with you for a second here. I'm talking about we as the people gathered right now. Sometimes I feel like we're a circus. Sometimes I feel like, like we're a circus trying to put on a show. Sometimes I feel like our show is about how great we are, about how many people are in our parking lot, how many people are in our pews. Sometimes I feel like we're about gimmicks, about production, about performance. Who can tame lions? If you can, please stand up. Maybe people will come to know Jesus. Sometimes I feel like we're a circus where we're trying to receive the all. Do you see how incredible those people are? Do you see how incredible those people are? Have you been to that circus? Have you been to that circus? That is not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church, the church should be leaving people in awe of Jesus. In awe of Jesus, not the circus. And so my hope is this, that as we're slowing down, as we're thinking simply for a moment, that it wouldn't be about how many rings we have, which I think about constantly. It's a struggle. Maybe it's because of the position or whatever. But how can we add more rings to our circus? How can we grab, like Lee and I talk about a lot, how can we grab more dancing chickens and put them on the stage and put on a show? But what if we devoted ourselves? What if we devoted ourselves to the apostles' teaching? What if we devoted, I'm talking about truly devoted yourself to God's word. What if you devoted yourself to the fellowship, not just to get together and eat finger foods, but instead to partner together, to hold one another accountable? What if we devoted ourselves to breaking bread, to worship of Christ as we break bread together symbolically, but also eating together to remind one another? It's funny how Muslims and Christians can come together for a meal, but Christians and Christians can't. It's interesting how David and I can go across the world and have significant spiritual conversations about God with people who the Bible says is going to hell. They're separated from God. We can come together for a meal and break bread or fish chips. We can break bread and we can talk about the one true God. Christians should at least be doing that with one another. And hopefully that would lead to someday breaking bread with your lost neighbor or your lost grandchild or maybe even your lost spouse. And the church should be known as a house of prayer. Not just praying for those who are sick, but also praying for those who are lost. Praying for those who are in desperate need of salvation and salvation alone. The church would be known as a house of prayer. 
signifying that we cannot do anything by ourselves. That if we are to function as God desires for us to function, or work as God desires for us to work, then we must be abiding in Christ. And that makes us a house of prayer and not a den of, a den of thieves or a den of robbers. So my hope is this week that you would hold me accountable, that I would hold you accountable, that we would partner together as the people belonging to God, that we would function within the gifts that God has given us, and that people would be left in awe of Jesus. Let me remind you this. It says this, verse 43 of Acts chapter 2. And all came upon every soul. Go back, verse 42. They devoted themselves to these four simple things. God's word, fellowship, to breaking bread, and to the prayers. And all came upon every soul. The church recentered their attention and their focus and their hearts on Jesus. And I think this morning, maybe you should slow down, think simply for a moment, and say, Lord, in these next few moments, please help me to recenter upon Christ and Christ alone. Help me not to let this life be about me. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. As I briefly mentioned, Lord, I know how we need to mention it so much longer than the few moments that we share together. Thank you, Jesus, for your completed work. That through your, through your death, your sacrifice, through your burial, through your resurrection, Lord, we can be forgiven of sins. We can be clothed in righteousness. We can have confidence and no longer be doubters, but instead be people filled with grace and faith in you because of the completed work. God, help us as the people belonging to you, those in this room who are part of your, of your body. God, help us to hold one another accountable. Help us to focus upon the things that you desire for us to be focused upon. God, help us to be Christian brothers and sisters who spur one another along, who see, who have such great partnerships and friendships, they see when one another is struggling and so stand beside one another and lift up arms so that you may receive the glory for the work being done. God, help us not to be known as a, a group of people from different paths and backgrounds and different occupations who just gather together weekly. Help us not to be known as people who desire the glory the honor. But God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to be people that belong to you and that give you the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's time for an invitation. Sing together in response to what Christ may be speaking to you this morning about. You know, I stand here. Um, it's not a hurt to my pride for you not to walk down here. All right? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't need you to come and confess your sins to me. Uh, my desire is this, that if I have been obedient to what the Lord has spoken to me to share to you through his revealed word, then your responsibility is to respond to him and to, to give him the glory and honor 
Because he and he alone is worthy of that. So I'd love to help you if you're in need of instruction or direction. I want to help you in that. But more importantly, I just want you to respond and worship to Christ. So let's stand. Let's sing together.